Today, in lieu of scripture reading from Daniel 5, we will now enjoy this video. King, K- King Belshazzar. I want to make a toast to the god of gold. Wow, look out. Oh, oh no. <laughs> At last, some real entertainment. <laughs> All praise the god of gold. Praise the god of gold. And silver. Praise the god of silver. And brass. And iron. And wood. And stone. And gold. Gold. It's a trick! What is it writing? Oh, God save us! wanted to share a little bit of my childhood with you. <laughs> I used to just play on a regular TV, and um, that was during the Hanna-Barbera era. Do you guys remember Hanna-Barbera? Just the best. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each person here, that it would be beyond just conviction, but it would lead to transformation that change would happen, would happen and we would be more and more made into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel 5, welcome back. Um, there's a theme running throughout the book of Daniel that we need to keep in mind because the author points out this theme repeatedly throughout the book, and, and it's this, that, that God is in charge, God is in charge, and we can trust him no matter what the circumstances we are living in that we can trust God. We are going to miss this entire point of the book of Daniel if we don't keep this in mind, um, because what this allows us to do is to look at things from an everlasting perspective as opposed to just what's happening right now in my life or even what's happening like decades surrounding me in my life. We, we have to look at the, the long, everlasting, eternal picture. So as an example... When you're looking at the end of chapter 4 to the beginning of chapter 5, there's actually a span of 30 years that has happened in between those two chapters. And if you just look at your own life, which I think many of you haven't even lived 30 years yet, but um, a lot happens in 30 years. A lot. And within this time between chapter 4 and chapter 5, God was in control of all of this even thousands of years before and thousands of years after. And King Belshazzar is pointed out here in chapter 5, showing that it took decades for him to be put on the throne. And it's just a mere matter of moments to where God, who put Belshazzar's ancestors on the throne decades ago, that God can 
pull them down from their throne in just an instant. So let's look at Daniel 5, verse 1, starting verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Now in verse 2, it points out that Nebuchadnezzar was Belshazzar's father. But Nebuchadnezzar is not the direct father of Belshazzar. He's a predecessor, but not his, his father like right away. He's like grandfather multiple times over. And it's just like when a Jew calls uh, father uh, Abraham as father, right? Father Abraham, and then the song goes through your head. Uh, Father Abraham. It's just like that. It's just like that. So Belshazzar's father is not Nebuchadnezzar. And we know this because according to Babylonian inscriptions and Babylonian chronicles that Nebuchadnezzar is Belshazzar's direct father. And Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon from 556 BC to 539 BC. And that's Belshazzar's direct father. Now verse 3. Then they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the God, gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So you can just imagine this scene. Uh, Probably the cartoon is um, influencing your scene right now. But it's just a lot of opulence. It's just uh, a lot of lavishness that's happening. And keep this in mind that all of this is happening inside the palace, but outside of the palace, what's happening? There are these people that have been suffering for over 70 years who were brought out of their hometowns and into Babylonian captivity, forced out of their homes, forced to take on new names, forced to learn new cultures, new religions, forced to do things that they did not want to do, and they're hurting. And so there's this total lack of regard for people outside of the palace walls that they have oppressed. And then this complete lack of respect and reverence for the Most High God, whom they stole all these golden vessels from to put into their Babylonian treasury, but all these holy things that were stolen and then used for such a sacrilegious way. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm chapter 10, starting in verse 2. In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And this is the epitome of Belshazzar, who was really arrogant, boasting in the Lord, not caring for the poor outside of those walls. He's he's actually really profane and offensive, pulling those holy relics of, of worship from Israel and Jerusalem and pulling them in and just celebrating drunkenness and I don't, it was just dirty and nasty and the way that they were celebrating things is just really, really profane. He orders these sacred vessels from the temple and he desecrates them. Not for their intended purposes. So we, we've known from past studies what holy is and what the antonym of holy is, which is common, right? So the opposite of holy is not evil. The opposite of holy is common. So these holy vessels that were set aside to worship God and for celebration and feasting 
and worship of God are now used for drunkenness and partying and common. Everyone just drink out of this as you please and do with it as you please. It's not set aside for the worship of God anymore. Ezra, in the book of Ezra, starting uh, in chapter 1, he gives us a reference to what happened during this Babylonian captivity. In verse 11, he shares with us that 5,400 vessels from the temple in Jerusalem were stolen and taken into the Babylonian treasury. And that these items were brought out so that uh, by Belshazzar to make a mockery over Israel's gods. To say, like, Look at, look at our gods are way more powerful than, than the gods that we stole from. And so for 70 years, his ancestors, his predecessors, actually just stored them in the Babylonian treasury. He, they kind of left them alone. They, they were still holy until Belshazzar orders this sacrilegious act and he makes them common. And so he led his people into what he thought of the most high God in Israel. This is what I really think of you, and this is, I have no regard for you. You guys are an absolute joke. And so he toasts the Babylonian gods with these uh, vessels that were dedicated holy purposes, and he's pulling them away and committing idolatry in front of all the people there. And this act would be the Babylonian Empire's last act. And you have to keep this in mind. This is the most powerful empire in the known world at this time. And God was going to just tear them down. This is it. You cannot do this anymore. Your arrogance, your sacrilege, your idolatry, this is it. And so this act that it, Belshazzar's doing is an act of, of showing, hey, most a high God, you're nobody. I'm everything. I am king of the most powerful empire in the world, and I can do anything I want, and basically flipping the bird to God. Not much has changed today, I don't think. The God who made us is being mocked by many of his creation today. And it begs the question, how much longer is God going to stand for this? How much longer will God tolerate this. Now in Psalm 10, the psalm we just read, the psalmist actually started out with a couple of questions in verse 1 of Psalm 10. And he, it reads, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? But then it ends with this in verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And this is what happened to Babylon. Babylon and Babylonian empire will be no more. Most powerful nation in the, in the entire known world will be no more. Verse 5, Daniel 5. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. No matter how prideful someone is, God just has a knack for humbling them. I... He just can do that to anyone. And at one point, the king is looking all that, right? Barking out orders, telling people to do this, 
For 70 years, that, that gold never made it out of the treasury. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the king that's going to snub my nose against the most high God. Bring that gold out here. I'm going to do it. And then the very next moment, he's just not looking so hot anymore. Right? He's, he's looking like he had a really, really bad case of food poisoning, colors changing. He's getting all limpy. You know, it's like whatever. And he's, he's just not looking good anymore. Verse 7, the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. You'd think that the kings of Babylon would have learned their lesson by now, but it's still the same old stuff, right? Where they're like, whoa, this freaks me out. Hey, magicians, enchanters, everybody that can define this for me, please come in and help me. This is happening around 500 BC. They couldn't figure it out back then. It's 2019 now, several thousand years later, a couple thousand years later, and we're still in the same boat where we go ask people to help define things for us that we, we don't know about. And so we continually seek the wisdom of fools. Like even today, we keep doing the same thing. Now, why do broken people keep going back to other broken people to seek Wisdom, when we're all broken. We couldn't fix ourselves 500 BC. We can't fix ourselves today. This is the definition of insanity, that you keep doing the same things over and over again, expecting a different result. It's insane, and yet we do this all the time. We go back to fools, seeking wisdom. And the Bible tells us that wisdom is not found in words. Wisdom is found in the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. How often do we look for wisdom in foolish places? How often do I look for wisdom in myself? I have um, something to confess to you. The last few months I've been really, really worried and anxious in my life um, over health insurance because my family was actually kicked out of covered California and my kids were placed into Medi-Cal, but my wife and I were given no coverage because their argument was, your family can't have both. It has to have covered California or Medi-Cal. And since your kids are in Medi-Cal, it takes precedence over covered California, but you guys don't have it as parents. Only your kids have it. My argument to them was, well, why didn't you tell me that three months ago when you canceled my service and I've still been paying premiums and you've cashed my checks? Beautiful healthcare system here. So I had to head down to social services to take care of all this stuff, to sort all this stuff out. 
And so I go there and I find out, yeah, my wife and I are eligible for Covered California, but it's going to cost us three and a half more times than what I used to pay for all six of us, for just two of us. And it's going to be for less coverage. So I'm moving from silver to bronze. And it's three and a half times more for a third of my family. I'm like, what in the world is going on? Like, how does this make any sense? I make the same amount of money. I didn't make more money. This makes no sense to me. So I'm meeting with people. I meet with four people in the span of four hours. The last person I meet with is the medical advocate. And I ask her, like, how, this doesn't make any sense to me. How is this possible that I pay over three and a half more times for a third of the coverage for a third of my family? Come, and this is where the beautiful lesson comes in. Because the wonderful lady, the medical advocate, she asked me this one simple question. Did you pray about this? And then I had to confess to her, I didn't. I, I kind of just took this all on my own. Like I, I, I just started making a lot of phone calls to Medi-Cal and Covered California, Alameda County Health, and I started like marching around everywhere, wasting half of my day meeting with people, waiting in lines, pulling numbers, and all this stuff. And then, so she cocked her head to me like this, put her chin down, and glasses went down like this. And she said, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we got into this conversation because all plastered all over her room are these things about prayer and Bible verses and the Bibles on her desk and things like that. And we were talking. She found out I was a pastor. And so she felt at liberty to talk to me this way. But I was so worried for months to sort this stuff out. You know, like all the phone calls, all the waitings in line, and all the hours I spent, and the thing was, it was all me. Like, I, I did all that. I, I didn't ask God about that. I just did that. And I was trying to do it all on my own and seeking my own wisdom and seeking the wisdom of other people. And it wasn't until the last person I met, mm-hmm, like... The, <laughs> Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, not to medical advocate or like, to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I went to a fool, myself. I, I, I went to myself. And it wasn't until medical advocate lady pointed me to wisdom. And in Daniel, Belshazzar went to fools, enchanters, magicians, like, hey, guys, help me. But his mom, who I equate to medical lady, steps in and points him to someone who she knew where wisdom came from. Verse 10, Daniel chapter 5. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in 
this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. This is queen mother. This is not queen wife, because queen wives are already partying inside the room. And queen wives also probably don't have the history to know all the stuff that queen mother knows about who was before him and who Daniel was. There are other things also, but that's not the main point of the story, so we'll move on. If you want, you can read your own commentaries to figure out that this is Queen Mother and not his wife. So Belshazzar listens to his mom, and um, she's trying to encourage her son. And she described Daniel in these messianic terms here. You look at comparing it to Isaiah chapter 11, what, what was written here in Daniel 5, verses 10 through 12. In Isaiah 11, it reads... There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Same thing that Queen Mother was talking about in Daniel 5. And so we see that God was with Daniel, and Daniel is leading us toward Jesus. Jesus, whom we can go to now, we don't go to religion, we don't go to church, we don't go to ourselves, we don't go to other people. We go to Jesus for wisdom and understanding, because that's where it, it is. It's with Jesus. Now back to Daniel 5 and verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. I read it kind of sarcastically in that way, because I think that's how his attitude was with Daniel. Now you keep in mind that 70 years have elapsed, so that Daniel is now at least in his late 80s when he's talking to Belshazzar. And you notice kind of like that arrogance, that sarcasm that the king has, even though he looked the absolute fool in front of all the people with his color changes and his limpiness and all this kind of stuff, but he still kind of approaches Daniel in this arrogance, even though Daniel has the answers to his questions. And so you can see how disrespectfully he treated Daniel. Oh, you're that Daniel! You're one of the guys that my grandfather brought from captivity, right? One of those young boys that was forced into uh, coming into our country and learning our ways and our education and about our gods, and we fed you whatever we wanted to feed you to desecrate you from your diet. We totally transformed you guys, and we took all your gold. You're, that, you're from that guy, right? You're from those guys. You're that Daniel. Now, this kind of happens all the time. When people who follow Jesus are dismissed because we identify with Jesus. Oh, you're one of those. You still believe in those things that the Bible was written thousands of years ago. You still believe in that antiquated stuff. I can't believe it. I get, get modern. Are you kidding me? Like, why do you guys believe this stuff? It's still happening today. Back to Daniel 5. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretations, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, 
The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. So Daniel's like, keep it for yourself. I, I don't need your stuff. Like, he already has a lot. How he served his predecessors before, he's already been rewarded with a lot of stuff. He doesn't need more stuff. But he's telling them, you know, I'll, I'll tell you your dream anyway. And then Daniel perceives, proceeds to give Belshazzar a, a history lesson. Instead of just simply interpreting what's on the wall, he gives him a history lesson, starting with God setting up Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor as king. Verse 19, And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. This is talking about Nebuchadnezzar. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you... His son, and here's like a transition here. Belshazzar have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heavens, and the vessels of his house have been brought before in you. And you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Again, Daniel could have simply just interpreted what's on the, on the wall, but he doesn't do that. Daniel goes on to school this guy about how things really are. This is how things have gone down in your kingdom, son. Sit down, listen. And he told them, Nebuchadnezzar is the one that set up your great-great-grandfather, however many kings ago that was. And so he points this out by pointing out those pronouns. He, his. It's all about Nebuchadnezzar and how he thinks how great he is. But my God is the one that placed him there. And so he's emphasizing how much Nebuchadnezzar's own will, his own role, was his own downfall. He did that to himself. Nebuchadnezzar was brought down, and then in verse 22, it transferred to you, and so you, being his descendant, you're the same way, full of arrogance, full of idolatry, and you'd think Belshazzar would get the hint. Oh yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, he, 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 and he's saying like, pointing it to me now, and I'm the one emphasized here. And you'd think he'd understand you're heading down the same path. The same thing is going to happen to you. You see, we're, we're all responsible for our own arrogance. We're all responsible for our own idolatry and our own sacrilege. And we will not be able to plead ignorance for the lack of humility in our heart before Almighty God, who knows everything. You know, we, we know our own pride, don't we? Even though we can lie about it, and we can show different actions about it, and say different things about it, but only you know what's exactly inside of your heart. And we know it. The view of God that some of the world has is misleading other people. 
God has already revealed himself through his word, and we are to honor God and his word. And the question is, do we? Do we? Do we honor God in humility? Do we know God's truth? And we can fake it, and we can say the right things, but God knows our heart, and he knows when we're lying. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 reads this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Our unrighteousness suppresses the truth. Belshazzar's unrighteousness suppressed the truth even though he knew it. Look back to verse 22 in Daniel 5. You knew all this. You knew all this. How many of us know all of this? You've been a Christian for a while. You've heard countless sermons. You've read the Bible. We know all this. We know. There's a lot we know. But we still think and we still act unrighteously. Continuing on with Romans 1 verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and mammals and creeping things. We have this innate desire to make our own gods. Why is that? It's because if you and I make the God, then you and I can control that God. And you and I can make that God serve us. That's not the most high God. He created us. We cannot manipulate him. We can't make him serve us. He's all, almighty God. Continuing on here with Romans, verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason... God gave them up to dishonorable passions. We see this all over our world today, don't we? Just people do whatever they want. The disorder and the chaos, they just, people interpret for themselves what they want. We know that when we disregard God, and the, and the point Daniel is making with Belshazzar is this, is that we can't plead ignorance. We know. We know. And like some of us who may think we can plead to God, God, I didn't know. When you do, and no one else can see through that because they're just taking you at your word, and they're just taking you at what you're saying, but God's not fooled with that. He can see right through that. And he can say, you're a liar. You do know. And here, I'll prove it to you. And flash everything that's up there. He knows everything. You're not going to fool him. You might fool your spouse. You might fool your friends. You might fool your family. You are not going to fool God. 
And there is no time to get right with God than the moment you realize you're not right with God. And I want to encourage you not to put that off. Because if you do, you don't know if you're going to get another opportunity. That 40 bus line comes down the street pretty fast sometimes. And when you're walking across the street today, who knows? And once a month, there's always a car that comes this way on this one-way road. Who knows? I don't know how many accidents we've seen here, right, Steph? Like in this, this intersection, it's amazing. Put a stop sign for goodness sake. I don't, I don't get it. Anyway, right now is the only time that you and I have. Right now. We don't have an hour from now. You don't know. None of us know. Only now. Back to Daniel, verse 24. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have waited in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command... And Daniel was clothed with purple, and a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Back to this, we don't know about our time. That very night, when he was partying and thinking he was all that, and brought the gold vessels in that none of the kings before those 70 years ever did. He did that. And he's thinking he's everything. Babylonian Empire is the most powerful. No one's going to do anything to me. That very night. You and I only have right now. This moment. That's it. Anything else is not guaranteed for us. And even with this warning, Belshazzar still doesn't get it. Like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Give him a chain. Give him purple clothes. Make him the third. Like, are you that drunk? Like, what is going on? Like, are you, like, what's going on with this guy? Whatever it is, whatever it is, it's really odd that somebody tells you, you're dead, man. Cool, give him a chain. Like, it's so weird. But whatever's happening, here's something that's really interesting. Because this didn't happen in just one night. Just like any other sin that we struggle with. It doesn't happen overnight. That adulterous affair didn't happen that one night. There's something going on underneath for a long time, whether it be lust or whatever it may be, that resulted in that. It's the same with any sin. You don't just kill somebody. There was anger there. There was something. There's some character issues there that result in you killing somebody or stealing or something. There's always something there. And so this is what was happening between the Medo-Persians and the Babylonians at this time. Because for quite some time, the Medo-Persians were strategizing and plotting how they were going to overtake the Babylonians. The Babylonians who had these incredible walls. How are we ever going to get through that to take over them? And so somewhere along the line, Belshazzar is there just bathing in his arrogance. And what the Medo-Persians are doing is they put a dam on the Euphrates River to cut the water supply that go into the city. 
And why are they doing this? It's not to starve them out of water because then the Babylonians know this and they can just come out and march and fight them out there and they're a pretty powerful army. But what do they do instead? They cut those supplies so that the supply channels that go underneath the city are free for them to walk through. So we're not going to go over the walls. We're not going to go through the walls. We're going to go under them through these supply channels of water and we're going to march right through and we're going to come up through the palace and we're going to take over Babylon that way. We're going to wipe them out. So big walls, no big deal. We'll just go under them. It's the same thing for us. Oh, I got this. I got this. And all the while there's something brewing underneath that is a secret You've been watching porn for a long time and nobody knows about it. And then when it comes out in your marriage, surprise. There's something that's brewing underneath that nobody knows about and it's a surprise. They just went under, up through the palace, and they killed him that night. But it didn't just happen in one night. You don't dam up the Euphrates in one night. It takes a while. Is there something brewing underneath your walls that you think were set up so well that you're not going to be overtaken but there's that secret thing that you've just not shown anybody you haven't been that transparent you haven't been that vulnerable you're just showing enough but you're still damming up those rivers of life that are flowing through and it's going to kill you because of your arrogance and your pride that you think that you've done what you can and you're protecting somebody or you're protecting yourself, you're guarding yourself from shame or guilt, whatever it may be. Things that don't overtake you in one night, but they've just been brewing for a long time beneath the surface. That secretive behavior, that secretive thought that no one else knows about. It's just damming up the rivers of life that are flowing into your soul. And the pride and the arrogance is going to kill you. It's just like Belshazzar. Just like Nebuchadnezzar. And the problem is, is they don't face that. They don't expose that. They don't show that. So that sexual behavior, that substance addiction, whatever it is that you're walking through in those hidden channels of your life, you've got to light it up with the radiance of Christ. You just got to expose them. So where are you with Jesus Christ today? How is that pride preventing you from experiencing that fullness of life in Jesus Christ? When you walked in, a card was given to you, and essentially it's to kind of mimic the plaster on Belshazzar's walls. And there's a leading question in there, but really it's most of it's blank so that the finger of God, whatever he's writing on there, and writing to you, that you can heed the warning. What is he writing on there for you to act on, to change, and not just be convicted about, but to like make a movement into changing? And so we want to provide that space for you to write that down, because maybe there are some things that you've been struggling with for a really long time, that you don't feel comfortable talking to someone yet, but we just want you to take a baby step by, write it down. Get it out of your head, get it out of your heart and your spirit, and write it down. Get it outside of yourself and start there. And start sharing that with somebody. 
Start exposing those things so they don't hold you prisoner and keep you in bondage. We're going to have people to pray for you up front here and pray for courage to happen in your life if you do have that struggle to talk to that person and to pray with the folks up here that are going to pray with you. And during this time, as the band is leading us in worship, um, you guys can come on up. Um, the communion elements up here, symbolizing Christ's body broken for you and Christ's blood shed for you. Um, I know a lot of churches have a lot of expectations on communion and who can take it and who can't. And yes, it, it's laid out in 1 Corinthians as to how serious it is. But I also want to invite you in terms of saying like, don't be that hard on yourself because the communion table is for broken people. Judas participated in it. <laughs> right? So it's an invitation to realize that whatever sin, whatever struggle that you're struggling with, he, he was broken for you and he died for you for that. So we, we invite you to come up and participate. We want you to take those steps forward to get into wholeness. And we'd love to pray with you. To pray about what possibly could be those channels that are running under your wall and getting through that take a long time to kind of come through and kill you. It doesn't happen overnight, but what is it under there that we need to like stop and support you through that?